there are two kinds of people who go on vacation, all right? We've got a couple of different teams here. This is the first team. I want to know by show of hands, who among you is a relaxer, right? You want to go on vacation, you want to relax. I've been told that this is the group of people who have had children, okay? This is the relaxers, right? Um, people that want to go, they want the mountains, they want the ocean, they want peace and calm. They don't necessarily need to have a plan. They have a plan. They're going to go chill, and it's going to be great. There's some people, some called planners. I want to show hands for this one. These are my people. You're a planner, all right? There's another term for this group of people. We refer to ourselves as the winners, all right? We do not just go on vacation. We win vacations, all right? Like, when I plan a vacation, I'm thinking about a couple of things. But the number one, for better or worse, is the food. Like, ahead of time, I am picking out restaurants. And I don't just mean, like, okay, where do I want to eat when I'm on a trip? I mean, I am researching the area. What is the food specialty of the area? What are six different restaurants there? So on Tuesday, I can wake up, not know what I want to eat, and have restaurants picked out. I've probably even looked at the menus at these restaurants, okay? Like, I plan vacations. And that's not new. Like, that's how I grew up. Um, I went to Disney World with my family when I was seven years old. Like, I know most people think of Disney as a little kid, and they're just, like, so excited. They're going to see Mickey and Minnie, and they're running around. Maybe the kids are on leashes. No judgment. I understand. Um, but that's not what my experience was. I was seven years old. I was being pushed in the little cart, right? So my dad is pushing the cart. I'm in it. But I have been given a 100-plus page research book where you can see, like, what the different rides and attractions are. And you've got seven-year-old read, like, well, the French Pavilion at Epcot only has three stars, so we can skip that one. Keep going, Dad. Like, I'm not exaggerating. That is how my family operates, right? There's got to be a plan. Even on vacation, there's got to be a plan. A really common phrase you'd hear in the Chapman household growing up is, what's the plan? Like, there is an assumption that there is a plan. What is it? Or another one is, who has the plan? Like, of course there's a plan, but someone is responsible for it. Is it Reed? Is it Dad? Is it Mom? Honestly, it's probably not Ross. That's just not his thing. Uh, so which one of the other three Chapmans, like, who has the plan? But surely someone has a plan. Now, with vacation, we can agree to disagree on whether or not you need a plan. Like, that's fine. That's little. But what is that area of your life where you need a plan? Maybe it doesn't need to be your plan, but you need there to be a plan, all right? Like maybe it's at work. You've been with a company for a little bit, and you're not saying that I need a promotion right now or I need a raise right now, but you would like to know that there is a plan for you to grow with a company, that there is a plan for you to advance someday, somehow. Or maybe it's a medical situation where you would love just like treatment and just to be cured or fixed right now for you or a loved one, but even if that's the case, like you would still want to know that there's a plan, that the doctors have a treatment plan that there's something going on, something to move it forward. Maybe it's a relationship, right? Maybe you've been dating this guy for a couple of years, you like his family, he likes yours, and you're not saying, like, okay, I need to be engaged right, right now, but I would like to know that there is a plan, okay? What is that area in your life where you just want to know that there's a plan? Because when we find ourselves in that pressure point, in that spot where we need a plan, and we feel like there isn't one, it can be discouraging, it can be frustrating. It can be mentally and emotionally exhausting. Like, what's that spot for you? We're in our series, Joshua. And we're going through the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua is all about one big plan and a lot of little plans. All right? The story of Joshua, there's a big plan, and it's that God is providing land for his people. Like, God's providing land for the Israelites. That is the big plan. 
And then there's all these little plans, these little individual, we call them even like TV episodes, like little plans as God is accomplishing the big plan. So the big plan is that God has promised the Israelites that if they follow him, they're obedient, he's going to go before them, he's going to help them win the battles, and specifically, that he's going to give them the promised land. Right? And then the little battles, and that's some of what we're talking about today. These are the different stories of how God did that. Last week, Dan talked about the Battle of Jericho. And the Battle of Jericho, it was, a, it was a little plan, where the little plan was that the Israelites would march around the walls, they would dance, they would sing, they would blow trumpets, and that God would bring down the walls of Jericho. Like, that was a little plan. That was not prescriptive for the rest of the battles. That's not prescriptive for us. If I see you marching around Target, hoping for, like, a great sale with trumpets, like, I'm just scared for you, okay? Like, it is not a prescriptive plan. It's just, it's a little plan. It was for that one time. And today we're going to be talking about Joshua chapters 7 through 19. That's 13 different chapters. Like, we're not going to read them all. We're not going to talk about every single story. But know that these are all different instances of little plans, little individual plans where God is fulfilling the big plan, which is God is providing land for the people of Israel. So there's a couple different stories in here. Um, There's the Battle of Ai, which is broken up into two parts. Uh, There's diplomacy. There's times where people come to the Israelites and say, hey, we don't need to fight, we can be allies. There's deception, there's betrayal, there's backstabbing. Uh, There's battles where all the soldiers go out together and fight, and there's some where it's just a family and some household guards that go and fight a different battle. Like, there's all these, like, intrigue and uh, deception and warfare, and I love that stuff, right? So it's like I'm watching Lord of the Rings with no dragons, and then all of a sudden somebody changes the channel, and I'm watching Tiger Woods, like, make a three-putt, and it's golf, and I want to take a nap, and I have no interest in it whatsoever. That's what it can feel like when you read Joshua 7 through 19, because you go from these battles and this intrigue to land grants. And all of a sudden, you see uh, so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, inherited this land, and they passed on to their descendants. Like, when I read that, I get like a real thick southern accent in my head. I think, and William Robert, son of Billy Joe, son of Billy Bob from western Kentucky, gets this land. Like, it just shifts from battle and intrigue to really, really dry, boring stuff. And that's still all a part of the big plan. And the big plan is that God is providing land for his people. So the exciting stuff is how he does it, and then the boring stuff is it's still important, and it's still part of God's plan in providing for his people, for them and for their descendants. So when we look at Joshua 7 through 19, there's something that I think can be encouraging to us. It was encouraging to the Israelites, whether they felt it or not in the moment, but it applies to us today, and it's this. It's that God always has a plan. God always has a plan. And there's a couple of truths that I think we can learn from Joshua 7 through 19 that'll encourage us for today. So God always has a plan, and sometimes you lose the battle. Right? That's fun stuff. God always has a plan, and sometimes you lose the battle. And there's a story that comes to my mind really clearly with this. And it's the story of the battle of Ai. If you ever read it in your Bible, it's A-I, it's pronounced I, and I was told not to do this, and I'm going to do it anyway. I wanted to come out here and pronounce it this way for y'all, so I'm going to need you to laugh at this so I feel justified, but it's the story of the battle of Ha! Uh, so it's the story of the battle of Ai, all right? And it's actually, despite a little bit of levity there, it's a tragedy. Uh, the battle of Ai is one where the Israelites are coming off of the battle of Jericho, right? They're pumped. They're excited. God just wrecked the walls of an enemy city before them. Their God is with them. After that battle, God tells them, don't take anything from the, land of Jer- from the city of Jericho. Leave it there. Don't take it. And they're like, all right, cool, God, you got this. And they go on from the battle of Jericho, and they go to the battle of Ai. They get ready. God's going to do this again. They're pumped. They go, and then they get destroyed. 
like they go from this massive victory and they just start losing. And 36 Israelites die. They beat a hasty retreat. They run back and they're sitting there saying, what happened? Like we were just with God because we were going great. And now we're losing. Like and our friends just died. What's up with that? Have you ever felt that way? I have. And that's, that's where the people of Israel find themselves at the Battle of Ai. Right? They just lost. And they're asking God, like, okay, God, what's going on? And God reveals to Joshua that there was a man named Ahan. And Ahan was with the people of Israel. And even though God was explicitly clear not to take anything from the city of Jericho, Ahan did. Uh, he took treasure from there. He hid it. He lied to others about it. And the people of Israel dealt extremely harshly with him, saying, no, this is serious. And they repented, and they're like, okay, God, I, we're with you. We're going to take what you said seriously this time. And even still, like, God allowed them to lose that battle. 36 Israelites died. Like, that's not fun. That does not feel like a victory. It was not a victory. I think sometimes in our lives, right, God allows us to lose the battle. Now, sometimes it's our fault, okay? Like, I can think really vividly. I had just gotten my license. I'm 16, maybe 17 years old. I'm in the McAllister's parking lot. I'm driving my Toyota Tundra, who I love and miss, and I am doing my best. Like, I'm not texting. I'm not driving. I'm not distracted. I'm doing my best, and I bump into somebody else's car. All right, that one's on me. Like, that was my fault. Very clearly my fault. Um, that's on me. I lost that battle, right? It's not a big one. It's not a dramatic one. It's not this emotional, tear-jerking response. But I can just be really honest. Be like, yeah, no, I, I missed it. I lost that one. And it's my fault. And sometimes we have those stories, but then we have those stories on a much bigger scale where we're like, yeah, I lost that job. I lost that relationship. I lost that fill-in-the-blank. And it was my fault, right? When that happens, we can often feel like a failure because we failed, and let's own it, we can then feel like a failure. And we think that the world collapsed and the war is over, but really we just lost a battle. And sometimes God lets us lose a battle. God never loses the war, but he does let us lose a battle. And when it's our fault, we can feel like a failure. But what about those times when it's not our fault, right? In episode of two of Reed does not really know how to drive, uh, I was on what I thought was a great first date one time. I'm driving my beloved, still with me at the time, Toyota Tundra, in the rain at an appropriate speed, and wham! Probably the same old lady from McAllister's who was very bitter and upset. Just rear-ends me. Like, I don't know it was her, but I also don't know it wasn't her, so for this story, it was probably her. And uh, somehow, that little car totaled my truck. And I, like, I don't get it. It's not fair. Like, that's the whole point of me being in a truck anyway. But uh, no, like, my truck got totaled by a little car, and I don't get it. And then... From then on, I've been driving cute little responsible cars that I don't like as much. And that date went from like a great one to just like a horribly awkward experience in the rain. Like, that was no fun. I was just fine about something like, well, that's not fair. Like, what's up with that? And that's fun and that's light. But what about those more serious moments in life where you suffer tragedy and it genuinely wasn't your fault? That's harder, Right? When that happens, we find ourselves saying, hey, God, this isn't fair. Maybe it's not. I don't know. There's a lot we don't know. But sometimes it's still a part of God's plan for us to lose battles, and it wasn't our fault. 
Like at the Battle of Ai, 36 Israelites died and it was Ahan's fault. It wasn't theirs. Right? Sometimes that happens. I can't sugarcoat it and I can't say it. Like, I can be cheerful. I'm, I'm still excited. But like, yeah, no, that's, that's not fair. It doesn't feel fair. That's hard. I don't know what your life or your story has looked like, but I bet there's portions of your life where you could, lost, where you could have lost battles and it was your fault, and then battles that you and I both lost where it wasn't ours. And in, in both of those situations, hey, God still has a plan. God always has a plan. God always has a plan, and sometimes we lose, but God has a plan, and sometimes we win. Like, sometimes we win the battle, right? See, the battle of I continues, and it goes on, we get like an Avengers Endgame situation. We have like a really disappointing, sad cliffhanger at the end of part one, and then part two, and then like immediately, like they win. The people of Israel, they take, they take like their, their thoughts and their minds, all right, let's have a strategy, let's have a plan, they put one together, then they go to battle, and then they win decisively. Right? They win. It's great. And you know what? It was partly their credit. Like, yeah, ultimately everything's God's credit. Yes, let's acknowledge that. Like, there was strategy, there was intentionality, they won, and well, that's good. Sometimes we win in life. Sometimes God allows us to win battles, and it's partly our credit. Like, God doesn't need us, but he invites us to partner with him. He invites us to live skillfully and wisely. There's a ton of stuff in the book of Proverbs about this. So sometimes in life, it's going to be a part of God's plan for you to experience wins. Like you're going to win the battle, and it's going to be partly your credit. I'll just throw out a caution, and this is just as much, if not more, for me than for anyone else. When we experience those wins, it's okay to be confident. Let's just be careful that that doesn't drift towards arrogance. Like, we can be confident and humble at the same time. We can be confident and say, hey, look what God did through others, maybe even, like, through you as a part of it. But it gets really questionable, and then it gets scary when we move from look what God did to look what I did through the skill of my mind or the strength of my arms. But sometimes, just like with the people of Israel at the Battle of Ai Part 2, hey, going to be a part of God's plan for you to experience wins, for you to win the battle. It's even to be partly your credit. Cool. That's awesome. Celebrate in those moments. But sometimes God's little plan for that section of your life or the Israelites' life is going to be none of your credit. And those are my favorite stories. Like when God shows up and does something so cool and so unique, there's no way that you or I could ever take credit for it. Uh, my parents were selling their house a while back. And the housing market is uh, very different in Wichita Falls, Texas. Because it was taking a very long time to sell this house. Um, to the point that they, I know they had been just kind of like even lowering the price. So I'm just trying to think like, okay, how do we sell this house? How do we get out of this? And I don't know all the details. I didn't know it then, but I was talking with my mom later. And she shared with me that she was praying to God one day and saying, God, like, what do you want us to do? And she felt like God said, you should sell the house and you should sell it at this price. Uh, and she said, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, then you're going to have to provide a buyer because it's not happening right now. And then one day, a man walks up to the door like a total psychopath at a stranger's house and just rings the doorbell. And my mom, exercising what I think is possibly questionable judgment, who knows, goes and answers the door with a total stranger she's never met before who just walked up and rang the doorbell because people do that. And uh, she opens the door and he goes, hey, uh, I'd like to buy your house. He goes, I've got the cash. Like, I'm not trying to bargain. I'll buy everything in the house. How quickly can y'all be out? So they ran a background check. They worked through the banks, made sure the dude wasn't crazy. Uh, actually, he wasn't crazy. He was a cattle broker. He had the money. He's like, yeah, I like the house. I think I'll buy it today. And uh, apparently people can do that. So that's cool. Uh, but that's what happened. Like, and so my parents sold their house. And it's one of those things where like, yeah, God's got to be in that. Because that's not something where they could look like, yeah, look at this great marketing strategy where we pulled all of this off together. Like, no. Like, 
God did that. That's really cool. There's probably moments in your life when you can look back and be like, wow, hey, that was a win. Like, I won that battle, but that wasn't my credit. That was God's credit. That was incredible. Hey, in those moments, worship. Man, just give God credit. Acknowledge what he did. Man, celebrate those moments. Those are awesome. Those are sweet. Enjoy them. Feel gratitude. And then we continue as we look through the rest of the book of Joshua, or at least chapter 7 through 19. And then we go and we see more stuff. And some are wins and some are losses. But as I look at this just kind of big picture, I know that God has a plan, right? But as I look at this, here's what I'm reminded of. God always has a plan, and sometimes you don't understand the strategy. Sometimes I don't understand the strategy. Like, I'm looking at so many different stories here with betrayal and intrigue and deception, but also a lot of death and a lot of destruction. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, I don't understand the strategy. Like, there's so much death, so much destruction. Like, 36 Israelites die at the Battle of I, Part 1. Then a lot of Canaanites die, Amorites die in the Battle of I, Part 2. I don't, I don't understand. And I find myself thinking, just very honestly, like, if I were God... I don't know that that's how I'd play the game. Now, I like games. Actually, like, I love board games, especially. Like, I'm a board game nerd. I collect them. I love, like, the strategic ones. Those are my personal favorites. So today, we're going to talk about one of my least favorite board games of all time. So if this is your personal favorite, like it was Connor's after the first service, I'm sorry, Connor. Uh, This is the board game Checkers, all right? Now, this is a game that I think a lot of people have seen before at one time or another. All right, so you've got a checkers board. You've got two teams here, and you can play this even as a little kid. Like, I played this as a little, little kid. And your goal is to take your pieces and move them to the other side. You capture checkers on the way. If you get to the other side, your piece becomes a king, and then you can go backwards and you capture more checkers. Once you capture all the opponent's checkers, you win. The end, okay? It's a pretty simple game. You will see it played, well, never. Uh, but maybe, maybe in the wild, you'll see a couple grumpy old men playing it at Cracker Barrel, all right? Like, that's really the only place you're probably going to see this game. And if it's your favorite, like Connor, I'm sorry. Uh, So this is the game of checkers. And the one good thing about the game of checkers is that every single person here, uh, no matter what your age is, whatever your board game love level is, everyone can play checkers. There's another game. It's the game of chess. Uh, I actually don't like this one either, honestly, but this is for y'all, so fine. Uh, this is a game of chess, and in the game of chess, you have a similar looking board to the game of checkers. You've got two different sides again, but now you have different kinds of pieces. You have pawns that can move forward one, or diagonal if they're taking an opponent's piece, or two on the first term. I don't understand, that's just the rule. Uh, you have rooks that can go all the way in one direction or another, but not diagonally. You've got knights, janky movement system, let's skip those. You've got bishops, uh, see, if y'all laugh, that was funny. Uh, You have bishops, they can go diagonally uh, as far as they want. You've got a queen, she can do whatever she wants, go Beyonce. You've got a king, and you get some other pieces, all right? And the game of chess is much more complex than a game of checkers. And I think sometimes we find ourselves in life going, okay, yeah, God knows more than me, I get it, cool. Uh, So I'm playing checkers, and God's playing chess. Like, God looks at the world... And he sees pieces differently. He sees movement differently. I play checkers, and God plays chess. And that's close. That thought's going in the right direction. But I would like to uh, maybe make this a little bit more accurate. All right? So we're going to play a third game real fast. Up next on Board Games with Reed, the YouTube series brought to you by The Ridge, we have Strato Chess. All right. 
So this is strato chess. Now, strato chess is a game where we have chess in three dimensions, right? So you have one team that's going to start up here. You've got another team that starts down here. And you have the same pieces as a regular chessboard, but now movements additionally in three dimensions. Because you can do everything you can regularly do on a board, but you can also go up, right? So now there's a vertical dimension. So you can go up. Some pieces can go up one. Some pieces can go up two. So I'm looking at this queen here. So she could go anywhere in a straight line on this field, or she could go up one, or she could go up two, right? And so you have pieces. You're moving here as you're thinking, as you're playing this game, right? We're talking fast because this part's kind of boring, but also kind of exciting. We're just going to run this real quickly. So as we play this game, we're looking at this, going once, going twice. This pawn could move here. It 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 could move here. here. And then there's a lot of other pieces too. Are you guys lost? Yeah, me too. So we have this game of strato chess, right? And here's the deal. You and I, we can play checkers. God plays strato chess. God's plan, as he looks at life, as he looks at everything in front of him, much more accurately resembles this than a checkers board. God looks at individuals whom he loves, who he cares about, and the depths of their personalities and their differences and how they are wired in every single life circumstance. And he looks at all the moves in front of them, in front of you, in front of me, in front of the Israelites in the book of Joshua, in front of the Amorites in the book of Joshua. God looks at all of this, and God has a plan. Like you and I might not be able to look at this and then have a good plan, but, but God has a plan. God always has a plan. And as we read stuff, as we see stuff in our lives, as we read it in the book of Joshua, as we see things unfold in our life circumstances or the lives of those we care about, man, God's playing strato chess. God always has a plan. And sometimes we don't understand. I don't understand. But what helps me is that I remember that I'm a checkers guy. And we serve a strato chess God. And I would rather bet on a strato chess God to be right than a checkers guy like me. And we can see some of the plan that God has in the book of Joshua, right? See, we know that the big plan in Joshua is that God is providing the land for his people. But because God is playing strato chess, God is doing many different things at once. So God is providing land for his people. He's building faith. He's turning them into the people that he will one day bring a blessing to the whole world from. And at the same time, God's even bringing out measured judgment. It's not just like somebody is a pawn on a board that's being sacrificed. No, like God has a plan that is complex and beautiful and detailed, and there's a depth of strategy to what God is doing in the moment in the book of Joshua, but that he's even been planning for hundreds of years. So we're doing our Ridge Reading Challenge. Uh, we read Genesis 15 this year. So I want to highlight real fast just a couple verses of Genesis 15, verses 12 through 16. Let's read them together. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Now, Abram's descendants would one day become Israel. And so the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, Egypt, where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. See, it was a part of God's plan from the beginning that the people of Israel would even be oppressed. And that's awful, and that's bad, and that's horrible, and it's painful, and it was still a part of God's plan, even if they would experience that loss. But, because God's plan is not done, I will punish the nation that enslaves them because it was wrong. God still had a plan for justice there. And in the end, they, the Israelites, will come away with great wealth. And they did. The people of Israel were equipped with incredible wealth as they left slavery in Egypt. To Abram, as for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. That sounds great. I like that plan. Way to go, God. Fun stuff. But after four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. That verse is so helpful and so huge. It's easy for us to skip past this. 
Because even 400 years before, generations before the book of Joshua unfolds, God had a plan for the people of Israel. God had a plan for the Amorites who were there. Like, it was not just, okay, I want this land. I'm going to take it from these people. I'm going to give it to my people. No, no, no. Like, God's not up there just playing a game. God has a beautiful depth of a plan here. And for hundreds of years, God had been saying no. And the people, the, the Amorites that were there, like, we're not just talking like, oh, yeah, they're a little iffy civilization. Like, no, we're talking about uh, slave trade and human and even infant sacrifice. And God had said, no, this is not okay. This is not okay. This is not okay. And then finally, God drew a line and said, enough. And that line had been planned hundreds of years before. And so the book of Joshua is also even a story of God saying, hey, enough. Now you're done. I will not tolerate that anymore. And I'm going to take this land away from you, and I'm going to give it to the people of Israel. And even still, there's times when the Amorites and the others who are there are given opportunities to say, oh, hey, we were wrong. We'll follow God. And we even see stories of that, some of them through alliances choosing to follow God, some through deception. Uh, there's individual stories of Canaanites saying, oh, hey, God is real. We're going to follow him. And there is still death and destruction. Like, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. I'm not trying to spin it any other way. There is death and destruction there. There is pain. It's true. I also think there may be some literary hyperbole in this. Like, I believe the Bible is real 100%. Uh, and as I read it, I also see stuff where I think, okay, so I know there's death and destruction here, but maybe destruction does not mean in this case what I think it means at first glance, because we see the city is destroyed, and then a little bit later we see that they're trading with the people of this city. So maybe that's an economic destruction, maybe it's a political destruction. Um, I'm not just trying to sugarcoat this. It can be a hard part of the Bible to read. It is for me. And as I still look at it, whatever degree of destruction is going on, whatever degree of justice is going on, whatever degree of provision is going on, it just kind of helps me to kind of step back and remember, all right, I'm a checkers guy. And in this and in my life as well, God is playing strato chess. Like, we serve a God who has always got a plan that is deeper and more complicated and more strategic and more intentional and better and kinder and more loving and wiser than whatever plan checkers people would come up with. So when we find ourselves in seasons saying, hey, God, I don't understand the strategy. Go to God with those questions. Go to him with those concerns. Don't run away from him. Say, hey, God, I don't get it. But go to God with those. And just know that it's okay that sometimes we don't understand the strategy. So what do we do? Like with that in mind, if we know that God always has a plan, what do we do? In all our ways, we want to acknowledge God. So we acknowledge God and we move forward. This is what we do with this information. God always has a plan, so we acknowledge him and we move forward. When we lose the battle, we move forward with hope. Now, I'm not trying to take away your pain or your loss, because sometimes in life you get hit by a bus, and you get up, and you were still hit by a bus. And it wrecks your life, and there is permanent damage and trauma, and I get it. And, not but, and, we can still move forward with hope. Heal as you need to, get help, yes. And when you lose the battle... You still want to move forward with hope. Sometimes we win the battle. When we win the battle, let's acknowledge God and then move forward with gratitude. With gratitude. Thank God for it. Worship him. Acknowledge him with gratitude and then move forward. And then when we find ourselves saying, hey God, I don't understand this strategy. Okay. Acknowledge him. Take your questions to him and then move forward with humility. Move forward with humility. And that just means remembering that we're playing checkers and God is playing strato chess. So we don't have to understand, and there will be times when we can't. 
but we can still say, okay, God, I trust you. What's next? In all our ways, let's acknowledge God. And know that we can have confidence because God always has a plan. I'd like to pray for us. God, thank you for having a plan that is better than the plans we would come up with. God, we'll, we'll come up with these plans for our lives and our minds, and honestly, they don't always happen. They often don't. But your plans are better. Your plans are deeper and more complex than ours, even when they involve us losing battles we don't want to lose or not having as many wins as we want. We're scratching our heads saying, okay, God, I don't get it. God, we just want to take a second and praise you and honor you as our God and say, God, you always have a plan. Even when we don't understand it, you have a plan, and so we trust you with it. But would you help us? Would you help us trust you in those moments of loss to when it's time to move forward with hope and those wins to move forward with gratitude and then just to always move forward with humility? Help us to acknowledge you and then move forward. We love you and we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen.